when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Harris, they don't talk. Is that something you just ignore? Yeah. Yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. we got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Breton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy. We going to have college football or what, Mike? <laughs> oh, buddy. That's the million-dollar question right now, and... My goodness, I think we Paul Paul Feinbaum let something slip here during his Tuesday appearance on ESPN show Get Up. Let's kick it over to Paul Feinbaum. This is just a short clip. Alabama plays Southern, Southern Cal in the first game of the season at Jerry's World. There's already talk going on between Alabama and TCU about meeting instead of the other two because TCU plays at Berkeley and the, the California schools, they do not believe will be available for that date. All right, so I don't know if he was supposed to let this cat out of the bag, Shane, because mm-hmm. I threw this out there on Twitter. As, as soon as I was like, did he really just say that? And I see anything on it on the internet. Mm-hmm. I threw it out there. Next thing I know, Reddit's copied me, 247's copied me. I mean, the whole world was in the dark on this. And it just goes to show that, you know, these schools are, they're having the same conversations we're all having, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What happens if this weak-ass Pac-12 can't play football? Well, Let's get TCU up in there. So I just, I don't know how this is all going to play out, but it's fascinating to think that these schools are already managing how they're going to work around it. Again, we are not making light of the coronavirus. This is strictly college football we're talking here. And word came down that they have closed Los Angeles County for three, what, three additional months. So California, I, I don't know what's going on out there. Apparently there's, 23 universities that will not have football this year. I mean, they're they're closed for the fall semester, so they're out, dude. I mean, you're talking USC, Cal. I mean, there's there's good teams that come out of California that we're not going to be able to see this year. So it's already shaking up the landscape. But what worries me, Mike, is the professional because this is what's going to happen. Then it's going to be well. What about the charges? Are we going to let them play? You know, and then if the NFL stops playing then the college is going to stop playing. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence, man. I just don't know. I love that they're making well, plans. I could stop you right there because I okay. think the NFL has got so much damn money that, yes, I, I see the concern, what you're saying there, and it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a natural place to go. But these teams, 
and I'm talking specifically NFL, got so much money, they'll just say, oh, we can't play in Los Angeles? Well, guess what? We're taking this to Las Vegas, you know, or we're taking it to, you know, insert state that will allow us. I don't think NFL is going to slow down at all. I think if they're, if they can't go in their home stadium, they'll go to another stadium. And I I really do think the NFL will go on regardless. They're going to Elon Musk it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. I mean, but again, a lot of schools have already been affected and, and, you know, your your spider senses are tingling. You're just you're hoping you're hoping that you don't get that bad news. You know what I'm saying? Right. You go you go to the doctor. You had a wild weekend in Vegas. You come home. You wait for them test results. <laughs> no, <I'm> just <laughs> But I had a so I had like a Texas A&M fan respond on Twitter and got me thinking. Even you know, is this going to be just California? Is this going to be the entire Pac-12? Because we got Texas A&M playing Colorado on September 19th. Yeah, and then these detectives, these Aggie detectives, are like, "My goodness, Texas Tech, they play Arizona that same day. We're gonna get Texas A and M, Texas Tech." So, I mean, there's gonna be workarounds here, but that's what's hey, gonna make this season so unique. You know. Also, I mean, I said it as a joke on Twitter, but what about these recruits, Mike? You know, what about these guys that just signed up to play college football in California? Not gonna be able to play this year, but all the other states can. Do they leave? You know what I'm saying? If that's not cause for a waiver, I don't know what it is. <laughs> exactly. JT Daniels, come on down. You know what? Absolutely. Pruitt doesn't fl- He's out there right now, man. <laughs> He's on the Hollywood Boulevard shaking hands and kissing babies, you know, <laughs> with his mask on, you know. So, I don't know. I, I It's – this is uh, – I ain't ever seen anything like this. Never thought we'd see anything like this. And I'm on the edge of my seat, man. Just I'm waiting to find out if we're going to have college football. I put that poll out. It seems like 90% of our fan base thinks that we will. Of course, you know, we are biased. We're SEC, man. You know, we're the last ones that are probably going to shut down for th- three months. But um, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm just, I just hope it happens. I hope they get this thing figured out, Mike. All right, so we got a guest lined up. But before we do that, we stumbled upon this clip. James Bate, Danny Warfel course former florida outstanding players sharing one of their favorite steve spurrier memories and my goodness shame i'm dying laughing you're getting ready to go to new york and get the heisman i don't think you would want it yet we're winning a lot of games so more and more of these autograph seekers are are coming out to get you and and your teammates to to sign helmets and and posters and whatnot And, and i remember it got pretty heavy and before practice one day coach calls us all up you guys, you guys coming out here to practice and, and those guys asking you to sign their helmets and those autographs, you don't have to sign those autographs. You guys, you guys, you don't have to sign those. They're shooting. Danny, Danny, they're getting you to sign those helmets. You don't have to sign those helmets. Just say, go Gators. Go Gators. Have a good day and keep walking. Come on to practice. He goes, you know what they do, guys, when, when they get your autograph? Danny, you know what they do when they get your autograph? No, sir. He goes, sell it. They, they sell it. They take it to the mall and they sell it. And then he paused for a second. He goes, you, you know what they do with the money? They get when they when they sell it. They buy drugs. They buy drugs. They buy drugs. And we're all like, huh? And then he stops. He goes, oh shoot, maybe they don't, but they could. You don't, you don't want to support that, Dan. <laughs> they buy drugs. They buy drugs. Oh my God, Steve Spurs, they're selling drugs. I'm like selling drugs, and think you just give away autographs? Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> That took a weird, weird turn quickly, but... Oh, man. Spur your brain, man. 
And this is great. And I don't know, we stumbled across this today. Actually, you did, and you sent it to me. And I went down this YouTube rabbit hole. Uh, I'd like to put this link out there, maybe on the Reddit page or something, if you get a chance. This guy just all of a sudden stopped making videos about three years ago. But, man, there are some doozies on there. He was talking about one time when they went up to Georgia between the hedges, and uh, they went up 52-17, I think it was. And, you know, that was the first time. <laughs> the way it was – the way it was reason that Georgia fans probably remember is there was a trick play ran there at the end of the game where it was like a like kind of like a pitch back, you know, flea flicker type deal. They ended up going to score, win 52-17, and apparently there was some confusion in the play calling. Well, when they got done, they said that Spurrier did it on purpose, and apparently the defensive coordinator at the time, Coach Pruitt, said – you know, ain't nobody ever scored 50 points between the hedges. Well, after they scored that touchdown, that trick play, he looked back and he said, now they have, <laughs> you know, that's just, that's the kind of coach Spurrier was. So, uh, but that, that he did that Florida Georgia rivalry. And, uh, you know, of course, Tennessee really hated Florida when he was down there, but that's just, that's, that's the old ball coach, man. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I teased it there. So let's jump to our interview here with Adam Luckett, Kentucky sports radio. I really wanted to try to figure out what in the heck is going on with all these Kentucky transfers. So he kind of really gave us some good insight on that and Kentucky's odds for the 2020 season. And I really liked what he had to say here about Terry Wilson. So let's jump on over to our interview. Okay, we're pleased now to be joined by Adam Luckett, Kentucky Sports Radio, and the co-host of the 11 Personnel Podcast. I think it's the best Kentucky football podcast out there. And you can find Adam at... Adam Luckett, KSR on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us, Adam. I really do appreciate it. Good to be on here with you, Mike. Excited to talk some ball with you. Now, before we get uh, into the meat of the business here, talking some Kentucky football, I do, I always got to ask my, uh, anytime we have someone from Kentucky on, I got to ask, Vol Twitter, what's your thoughts? Uh, How often do they (laughs) creep their way into your mentions? Vol Twitter doesn't sneak up into my mentions as much as my co-host, Nick Roush. He tends to uh, push their buttons a little bit more. But, hey, man, they are an active bunch. And I'd, I'd rather uh, tell somebody to hit the brakes rather than tell somebody to giddy up. I, just a few weeks ago, I'm sure you all talked about it on this podcast, but the hot streak that Jeremy Pruitt is on in recruiting. And I, I just sent out a random tweet saying Tennessee has picked up, you know, five or six commits in that week time span where they were – rolling right there and I was like this is why you hired Jeremy Pruitt you hired him to win recruiting battles and for two days I had Tennessee fans blowing up my phone saying now this this is how this is how an opposing media member supposed to act and stuff like that so I've gotten it from uh, both sides I've had uh, obviously the 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 negative connotations which seem to be out there a lot but I've also had the positive side too so I got some good feedback even recently. Yeah, just for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. That's that's maybe because those games have been so close, but I can't even tweet about Kentucky without Tennessee fans blowing me up mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And, you know, Kentucky's right there with them here lately in the SEC. So maybe maybe Tennessee's just upset that they're catching on, but I don't know. But, you know, speaking of Twitter, before we get into Kentucky football, I did want to get your thoughts on this. What in the hell do you think the SEC Network was doing when they sent out that Terry Wilson tweet, you know, what you doing, Terry, with just videos of Terry Wilson getting destroyed on the football field? How stupid was that? Right. That was kind of a crazy moment up here. 
when I first saw the video, I didn't, I kind of didn't think anything of it. And then, but I, I only looked at it for like a second and then I realized, Oh, he's like getting sacked on all of these plays. So I think an intern or somebody at the SEC office probably got in a little bit of trouble for that. But that's something that I think the fan base, the Kentucky's fan base really, and they take it from the team. It's kind of like this chip on our shoulder. Everybody doubts us. And from a team's perspective, that's what kind of like what they, what drives them, what burns their fire. And we've heard Mark Stoops and Vince Merrill, the recruiting coordinator, talk about it. Stoops goes to SEC media day every year. And it's just like, what are we picked? Yeah, of course, blah, blah, blah. Same old, same old. And I think that, Stuff, little stuff like that, I think they do really put that stuff in the tank, and it and it helps motivate them to go out and prove people wrong. And, and it's becoming a very much a chip on the shoulder type program. Now that's interesting because I did. I was going to ask you just about that. You know, given all the success Kentucky has had recently on the football field, do they still have that chip moving forward? Is that something that you you know you cover Kentucky, you write about Kentucky? Is that something? not only the the team and the coaches, but the fans? Or is that still something they feel up in Lexington? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Obviously, they're knocking down some walls, um, getting a little more respect. You're starting to see Mark Stoops show up on a lot of these preseason top 25 coach rankings. Just the experiment with Lynn Bowden playing quarterback and how they were able to run the ball on pretty much everybody, I think, gained them a lot of public perception, um, some positive points so I think they're getting more credit for that but this is a program man the recruiting ceiling has been raised but it's always going to be a program that thrives on what they do with three-star recruits so when you get kids like that that feel they're under recruited I think that's always going to be kind of your mo to be a chip on a shoulder uh, to prove everybody wrong to prove the doubters wrong and when you look at their roster they do have some four stars um, sprinkled in there for the most part but they, they, they're always going to depend on three stars. There's always going to be some three stars that are going to end up going to have to be really good players for Kentucky for them to have good seasons. So I think as long as that, as, as long as their recruiting kind of profile stays the way it is, which I don't ever see it really changing, I think that's always going to be what type of program this is. Now I really try to keep track of the latest SEC odds. You know when the odds to win the entire conference because you know they're subtly changing all throughout the off season. And the most recent ones that I saw come from the William Hill Casino, and they've got Kentucky at a hundred to one to win the SEC. What are your thoughts on that odds? Do you think you know knowing the program like you do is that a little too high, a little too low? What's your thoughts on Kentucky being a hundred to one to win the SEC? Yeah, I think that's fine if you want to set that there. I mean, Kentucky's won one SEC title, and. 80-plus years of this conference being around, so we do look like 100-1 to 1 sounds about right. I think where people might get upset on that is some of the other teams that are ahead of them. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to look at that, so I'm not familiar with some of the numbers, but I'm assuming uh, schools like – I'm assuming Tennessee was probably, what, 70, 60-1? to 60-1 to 1 for Tennessee, and then you're ahead of teams – all the Mississippi schools mm-hmm. are 150-1, to 1, South Carolina 150-1. to 1. Missouri three hundred, mm-hmm. Arkansas seven fifty, Vanderbilt a thousand. So those are all the teams Kentucky's ahead of. But right. the, but the rest Kentucky is sitting in behind. You know, that sounds about right. You could argue that it'd be a little higher. They probably should be a little closer to Tennessee, especially when you consider the fact that now Tennessee hosts Kentucky, but 
that, that crossover game with Alabama. Now Kentucky has a tough crossover with Auburn too. I think they're probably a little bit closer, but I think from an odd standpoint, that 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 sounds fair. I think Kentucky's more realistic goal is probably just to win the East. I think that's kind of the goal of the program right now. I think it's the goal of the fan base that they're talking more openly about that uh, now as opposed to in years past. So I think that's where they're kind of their eyes are stated, and that's more of the realistic goal, I think, for the program and for the fan base. Now, one thing I really wanted to ask you, there's so much news here in Lexington the last week or so with the transfer portal. I think they've had five guys enter the transfer portal over the last, you know, eight or nine days. Can you give us some backstory on what's going on with uh, all these players jumping into the portal? Right. So, long story short, Kentucky, Josh Allen, Benny Snell, they go on to win 10 games in 2018. Um, Ended by beating Penn State in the Citrus Bowl, break the Florida streak, all that. We're in the top 25 most of the season. So Kentucky had all of this kind of momentum rolling into recruiting. And all of it was built towards getting a lot of high-profile prospects that they haven't had a lot of success with um, in one class, like all interested in going there. So they had all this success recruiting, and they started getting these guys, especially on the defensive line, uh, you're going to see next year. I believe they had three uh, consensus uh, four-star uh, prospects on the defensive line, which is some a position they kind of struggled to recruit um, at a big-time level. So as this class started to load up, Kentucky kind of found themselves in a numbers crunch. They didn't want to turn away these talented players, but they knew it was going to have to be a small class. So when the class climbed up to, I believe, 22 signees, that meant – for the scholarships to be available, some players were going to have to leave the roster pretty much. So I think it created a situation where some of these guys got squeezed out. Just recently, Monty Gilmore was a quarterback brought in in the class of 2018. So he's only there one year. They brought in two quarterbacks, him and Nick Scalzo. So when you looked at the future, when they brought in Joey Gatewood, Auburn transfer, uh, Bo Allen is a recruit from Lexington. A lot of people are excited about. There wasn't really much room for them, so that's one that was obvious. And then some of these South Florida guys um, they've recruited. When Eddie Grant came over to be offensive coordinator, he had deep ties to the Fort Lauderdale area, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, Florida area, and so they recruited heavily there. And they've had some success. Josh Ali, who caught the game-winning touchdown in the Belk Bowl, he's from that area. Jordan Wright, who's an outside linebacker starter, who should be a pretty good player for them this year. He's from Fort Lauderdale, but they've also had some misses and some guys that have transferred. When you saw most recently, Davion Hawkins was from that area. B.J. Alexander was from that area. So they've kind of had a high variance with kids from that area. But really, it was mostly a number situation. Kentucky had a hot recruiting class they didn't want to say no to, and that created kind of a situation where they kind of had to make room on the roster. And so that's why you're seeing all these transfers. And to get to that 85 number, they're probably going to have to lose one or two more. So I don't think you're done seeing um, some of those roster changes there in Lexington. Yeah, and it sounds like that issue is compounded because you can't turn away a guy like a Joey Gatewood or mm-hmm. I know it wasn't as recent, but a Kelvin Joseph. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you when you got these elite talents wanting to come into your program you gotta get them in there so it's interesting that Kentucky could be losing some guys but 
in reality, it could be a good thing for him. Now, sticking to recruiting, I did want to ask you about four-star receiver. I hope I'm saying this name right, Deacle Crotus. Can you tell us why? Deacle Crotus. Can you tell us why that was such a big pickup for Mark Stoops' program? Right. When you just looked at Kentucky's receiver corps lately, obviously they've been a run-centric offense. But even when they threw the ball, they really could not beat teams deep. That's been an issue ever since they lost Jeff Bidette after the 2016 season. He transferred to Oklahoma. They just haven't had that kind of receiver that can take the top off the defense. Deco Crowdis is a guy that went to the opening with a laser time 40, ran 4-4-0. believe at Ohio State he camped, he ran in the 4-3s. So this is a guy who's a big-time player. Oklahoma was in on him hard in some other big schools, and he's just this you know, this speedy guy that can just run past people and streak through the secondary and really kind of stretch defenses vertically. And we've seen Kentucky be able to pound the rock and move the ball running the football, but they've done it against a lot of loaded boxes. And now you get crowded, it kind of goes with the identity of them running the ball, but it also allows them, hey, we got a guy who can take the top off the defense a little bit. And that's why it's a big deal for Kentucky. At that wide receiver position, they've been lacking, you know, top end speed, and he's a guy that's bringing that day one, and he's going to be a guy that they're going to continue to have to recruit hard. Because I don't think some of these schools like Oklahoma are going to back down in recruitment, but if you get him on campus, he's a guy that you can play right away because it's just, hey man, get out there, run that deep post, and go get the safety out of the box, and then we'll hit you on a couple of them if we if we if, he, if you hit him on them, then it really kind of changes the dynamics for the offense. All right, now I want to ask you about Kentucky's offense going into next season. I know Terry Wilson still continues to rehab, but all signs point to him being 100% by the season, you know, when that starts. And then we got Joey Gatewood, who I know is currently, you know, I guess you could call it ineligible, but, you know, they're potentially going to pass this rule to allow all the transfers to become eligible. So let's just say in a perfect world, Terry Wilson's 100% and Joey Gatewood is eligible to play from game one next season. Is there any threat to Joey Gatewood winning the starting job, or do you think this is completely Terry Wilson's team? You ask anybody close to the program at all, and they'll tell you Terry Wilson is quarterback one. He's the leader of the team. The team was really gutted when they lost him last year. And all signs point to him as that he's a guy that they really, really believe in from coaches to players, um, even the, the fan base here. I think sometimes Terry here in Kentucky, is they, we talk about him maybe a little too too much. We haven't really seen too much from him, but he does have a really high ceiling, and he's won a lot of games, and he's got people excited with that kind of athleticism. You've seen where he can run around and make plays, and then he can also really throw the deep ball. At times, he's been able to hit that, and it's got people excited. And people just really believe in him around here. So there's no doubt that he is the guy going forward. And he's going to be uh, the player I think the coaching staff is really leaning on to be not just a game manager, but a playmaker. The last couple of years, you had Benny Stell, who was the guy they leaned on. And then last year, obviously, wasn't both. This year, I think Terry's going to kind of be that guy that they're leaning on to be the guy that can make things happen and to be a guy they lean on and put a lot of trust in uh, to go out and make plays. Now, Joey Gatewood, I think in the recruitment, like he was sold that 
you know, come in one year, maybe you get cleared, maybe you don't, but you're going to sit behind Terry, learn, and then 2021 will, will be your time. But there, there's no doubt that there's going to be a use for him because of the Wildcat package that Kentucky has loved to use over the years. They've had a lot of success with it, and Gatewood brings a different skill set to, to that because, hey, he's a quarterback. He can actually throw the football out of it in addition to all the running stuff that they they can do with him. So he's got, definitely going to have a package. I think he, I can envision him being a guy that maybe becomes their short yardage option or just a different type of look in the red zone where he could play maybe four to six snaps a game. But from just a quarterback standpoint, Terry Wilson is the guy. They are they are all in on him, and there is no quarterback controversy in Lexington. I wanted to ask you about Kelvin Joseph because – you know, I know Kentucky didn't get that much of a spring, but that was the biggest name I heard coming out of spring camp there in Lexington in the short you know, amount of time we got to see them there. But this was a kid that played as a true freshman for LSU, just who obviously just won the national championship, and he would have potentially started for the national champions had he stayed at LSU. But And Mark Stoops kind of came out and said, this guy has a day one starter next year. What's your expectations for Kelvin Joseph next year? Yeah, when you just look at the secondary in general, that was a big question in 2019 because of all the firepower they lost of 2018. And Mike Edwards being drafted by the Bucks, Lonnie Johnson being drafted by the Texans, and both those guys are playing significant snaps in the NFL. And then you throw in three more seniors that they lost. So that was a big area for concern. But by November, Kentucky was rock solid in the secondary. And if you look at their pass defensive numbers, it goes up against anybody in the country. So they return pretty much all of those guys. In, in addition to it, they're adding Kelvin Joseph, uh, this former top 50 recruit uh, who transferred from LSU but was getting playing time at LSU. And then they add Devontae Robinson, who they lost in fall camp, who's a guy that they think can be an all-SEC type player and will probably be a draft pick in this next NFL draft. So you're adding two guys. And really, I think fan base is really excited about Kelvin Joseph. If you name the most popular players in the Kentucky football program right now, Kelvin Joseph is probably in the top five. Like People are really excited to see what he can do. And Mark Stoops usually is pretty hesitant to heap out praise the players, but when he talked about Joseph a few times this spring that you're alluding to, he was just gushing about him, like how excited he is to get him in his defense. So really, I think, Quietly, this secondary is kind of poised to be one of the best secondaries in college football because um, you're adding Joseph to the table, you're adding Robinson to the table, and you already have the pieces that are returning that was one of the best pass defenses in college football last year. So really, I think the story here is that, yes, Kelvin Joseph's going to be a pretty big player, it seems like, but more that that whole unit in general is kind of set up to have a really big season. All right, last thing I got for you, Adam. So I don't know if this is an opinion you share, but it's my thought that, you know, given that we're going through an unprecedented time here, I think continuity in college football is going to be huge. And if you look across the SEC East, you know, all the turnovers there on Georgia's offensive side of the ball, uh, Vanderbilt, both the coordinators, South Carolina, obviously the offensive coordinator was had to be totally reworked right. Tennessee's having you know both coordinators returned but a lot of staff changes and then here you go to Florida not a lot and Kentucky not a lot of turnover there 
do you think that's going to play a factor for this coming up season? And it, if so, how big does that help Kentucky coming into 2020? I definitely think it certainly can't hurt. When you look at Kentucky, they've lost some assistance, but they've kept their coordinators. Brad White's a guy that, that defense coordinator, a lot of people are really excited about. Eddie Grant, of course, I believe this will be year five for him. So he's been there a while. The offensive system is there. And I definitely think it helps, but more continuity wise, I think when you look at what Kentucky returns, yes, they lose Limbo, and yes, he was a superstar, and yes, they leaned heavily on him on offense, but they also are going to be back to running their normal offense, and they're going to have a guy that they really trust at quarterback, Terry Wilson. And then you add in four of the five starters returning on the offensive line, and when you look at it, they've got some, like, some legit dudes that can play next level in that group. And then you add that in with a receiving group that needs to prove itself, but you've got three really good running backs I think they really like. When Kavase Smoke and Chris Rodriguez came on strong as freshman last year. Then on the defensive side, you lose a couple guys, Calvin Taylor most notably, who's kind of that inside pass rush. But other than that, you feel like you've got a lot of plug-and-play options there. And the talent you are adding, I think, with Devontae Robinson and Kelvin Joseph, and then you look at Boogie Watson on the outside, could emerge as maybe one of the top pass rushers in the country. And then Chris Elton, middle linebacker, I think he's a, a star about to be born. I don't think enough people have recognized in his first few years that he's due for a big season. I think all those pieces, more so than a coaching staff, which obviously helps, but just having all of those guys back, I think her helps more than anything because you have a rock solid foundation on offense. When you look at the offensive line and a quarterback you trust and then defense, you return all this talent. And I think this defense is really due to kind of break through and have a really big season. So when you add, Hey, a really good offensive line, a quarterback, the coaches trust and a, a really, really, really good defense. I think that's going to equal some really good things on the field. You got a record prediction for us for Kentucky. Your podcast co-host came on here and said, if they beat, Florida, they're going to Atlanta. I don't know if you want to go that bold, but what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, my, the schedule breaks down like this. I think it breaks down really good for Kentucky. I think I think the early in the schedule, I think they should handle you know all their not all the games they'd be favored in Missouri, Vanderbilt, Eastern Illinois, South Carolina, Eastern Michigan, Kent State, and that leads the Florida Auburn games. I think if you split one right there, which I think is possible, I probably put it at less than fifty percent, but I think it's definitely a possibility. You're sitting really pretty. Obviously, uh, the Tennessee game, it's just been a thorn in Kentucky's side. I'm at the point where I can't really pick it. But I think what helps Kentucky, now this schedule could change. We don't know with COVID-19 what's going to happen. But the bye on October 31st kind of comes after it comes after eight games. So they get final four games. And two of the most physical ones will be Tennessee and Georgia. So I think it kind of sets up well if they can get, they can get hot, which they've done a lot under Mark Stoops. Even in 2014-2015, they got out to 5-0 and starts. If they can start hot, I think they can have a chance at the end to, to compete for an SEC East title again in November, which is kind of becoming a recurring theme there in Lexington. And so for Kentucky, I think it's about splitting that Auburn-Florida series. If you do that, you're, you're going to have a chance there in November. All right, he's Adam Luckett of Kentucky Sports Radio. He's the co-host of the 11 Personnel Podcast. All our Kentucky listeners got to subscribe to it, and you can find him on Twitter at Adam Luckett KSR. Thanks for joining us, Adam. I really do appreciate it. Anytime, Mike. Thanks for having me on. All right, so some really good stuff from Adam there. I really appreciate him hopping on and 
uh, you know, a very measured approach to his thoughts on Kentucky. And hell, he even threw some praise there to Vol Twitter there, Shane. <laughs> yeah, he he got some brandy points in my my mind, but uh, <laughs> you know he had, he made a lot of good points. And uh, one thing I you know I like about Kentucky, you know, because I was I was a little worried about this transfer at first. You know, I I was like, you know, if you're an outsider and not really paying attention, you just keep seeing all these kids transfer out. You think something bad's going on up there, but apparently they just they got too many good players, you know, so they're making room and, you know, that makes me believe that, you know, the big blue nation, this is, this has got to be their season. I talked about it on the last episode and, and it just feels like that's what's gearing up for. Absolutely. I mean, that's the problem you want to have. That's why we want to really have an insider into the audience, a, a clue as to what's going up up there in Lexington. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think kind of like Florida, I think Kentucky is poised to be one of these teams that the continuity is really going to help them going into 2020. There's not going to be new offense, new defense. Lynn Bowden's gone, but Terry Wilson is essentially a returning starter, even though he missed so much last season. But I think all those factors are really going to be in Kentucky's favorite favor next season. And I'm not saying they're going to win 10 games again, <laughs> but I mean, it wouldn't be a total stunner like it was a couple of years ago. You know what? Right. Well, let me ask you, um, you know, because Auburn, Florida, or those those two big games right out the, right out of the gate, which one of those, if any, or maybe both, do you see Kentucky having a chance of winning? For me, it's got to be that Auburn game, mm-hmm. just because I'm so high on Florida. Not to say, hell, Kentucky always, for whatever reason, it seems like that Florida game comes down to one possession game. So they'll, I anticipate they're going to play the Gators tough, but – Going down to the swamp, I know they went down there two years ago and won, but that's going to be a tough task. Whereas Auburn, we've seen them drop games at home before. I know it's a tough environment, but just very firm thinking that Florida's going to win double-digit games next year, whereas Auburn, I'm, I've been very vocal. I don't, not even mm-hmm. guaranteeing they're going to the postseason. So for me, it's got to be Auburn, and I think that's going to be one of those games where Auburn fans are going to be you know, totally dismissing Kentucky. That's an easy W, and then Gus loses it. And even though it's not going to be an embarrassing loss, you know, if you really know what you're talking about, they're going to be firing up the Gus bus, but get his ass out of here. We can't be losing to Tennessee and Kentucky and all these teams, but that's how I see it playing out. Yeah, if they lose to Kentucky, I I think you're right. I think we're right there on the hot seat again. And (laughs) I mean, but going into that week, could you imagine Joey up there just running that scout team to Auburn offense? I mean, who better? (laughs) You know, so absolutely. uh, That that that's gonna be a hell of a game. Oh, before we hop off here, I do one other clip. This is uh, comes via our buddy uh, Jacques Doucet down there at uh, WAFB in Baton Rouge, covers the LSU Tigers. But uh, my goodness, Shane, he had an interview here, former LSU quarterback, Matt Mock, and apparently him and old <laughs> Coach Saban don't get along. How much have you talked to him over the years? Do you talk to him at all? No, no. He, he called me one time when he was at Alabama to ask me to talk to a, a kid that was a baseball football guy. Um, yeah, you know, but he's, I've got a lot of respect for him as a coach. He's a great, great coach. Um, but I don't think we're going to have beers anytime soon. And you were the quarterback of his national championship team at LSU. His, his first. He never really looked at me as I, I think I, I kind of surprised him that I ever even started at LSU, um, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think there was just, he just never, never thought I was, uh, you know, he thought I was a safety. 
know, when I got hurt in 2002, you know, I wasn't supposed to know this, but um, Coach Saban wasn't all that mad. Uh, he was He thought Marcus Randall, who Marcus is a good, good buddy of mine, he and I got along just fantastic. Um, for guys who were competing against each other, uh, we were, you know, buddies. Um, and so uh, when I got hurt, uh, there was a lot of people that, he wanted Marcus to kind of be, be the guy. Didn't have the success that we had when I, when I was, uh, you know, under center. I mean, at LSU, you're literally walking, like, I mean, at the time, I think I was the starting quarterback. And, like, I walked by him, and I'm like, hey, coach. And he just doesn't even, like, like, you're not even there, you know. And infuriating at times when you're playing for him or I'm sure if you're coaching with him. But not, not just a bad day. I don't think he has a bad minute. You know I mean? He's just – always focused and in goal in sight at all times. And here's one of my favorite stories about the national championship. How long did Nick Saban wait before he asked you, are you coming back next year? Uh, I did not have the tape cut off my ankles. Uh, me and Michael Clayton doesn't say anything about the game. Not one thing uh, that we won that championship. He just looks, he goes, so uh, are you guys coming back next year? That's all he said, just like that. <laughs> Mike, Mike and I were like, hey, we don't know what's going to happen. We leave the room, and, and Mike looks at me and he goes, good game, Matt. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, how great was this? I mean, this is kind of what you come to expect about Nick Saban, the Terminator. As I, you know, he's, I don't even know if he's human at this point, as long as he's been chugging along and dominating the SEC. But these were some revealing comments <laughs> here from a guy that started at quarterback for a national championship team, isn't it? Well, it was a that was a hurtful season as a Vol fan, you know. So you don't want to see the other side. But I didn't want to share beers with Saban either, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I drank plenty when Mark was down there. But uh, no, this is great, and, and uh, I like these behind the scene deals. You know, sometimes they're they're good. And sometimes they they may paint a bad picture of your university. I don't think this was a bad one at all, you know. But uh, Dusha, if you're not following, if you follow LSU at all, you better have him because he is always putting out great content. This was this was no short of that. Uh, I'd love to, I'd I'd love to listen to that full interview. Is there? Do you know any way we can get a hold of that? Yeah, I, I could try to track that down, but I would imagine it's on the WAFB website. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll I'll try to locate that. But yeah, that's some really good stuff. He also put out a thing about Jimbo, uh, you know, coming out with, I, I guess he had about 150 plays or something like that. And he said, we needed to dumb down the playbook a little <laughs> bit because there was just so many plays to memorize. So uh, I, I kind of like that idea too. Is Jimbo Fisher, I think it was, one of, is one of the greatest coaches, uh, you know, Nick Saban, obviously is fantastic, but uh, Jimbo and Will Muschamp, our two coordinators that year were, I mean, fantastic. I mean, just awesome guys and awesome coaches. Um, but Jimbo had, <laughs> had a small habit of, and he had more time. We're going to think of a better play. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And I remember by the time we got to the game, I'm like, Jimbo, we've got to, I mean, I feel like literally our, pass sheet had like 120 passes on there. I'm like, we're going to maybe run 80 plays. Like <laughs> we don't need this much stuff on there. All right. So that's all we got on this one. Unless you got anything before we hop off here. <sighs> what? Where's, where the hell's Mike Leach? You know, 
I mean, I, I get it. Sometimes we tweet bad things and, and whatnot, but the guy has just disappeared. And, and I kind of hate that because especially during quarantine season, we're all at the house and all on Twitter saying dumb things. You know, I'd like to see him get back involved. Have you have you seen him on any social media outlets or is he just kind of like taking a break? You know, actually, I, I did see he was on a Zoom call, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> he, was he, it on accident? Was he, like, just, like, crashing somebody, or...? Oh, he was definitely crashing, and it, knowing him, it may have been an accident, because it was apparently a Starkville Elementary School, like, teachers thing, where I think he just, you know, wanted to support the all the hardworking teachers out there, but, yeah, that was a treat for them, but... I just like to imagine that Mike Leach has put the Twitter down and now he's discovered Zoom and he's just jumping into random calls just to just to spark up conversations and, <laughs> and, sh- and shoot the shit with the, whoever he can on Zoom. So he's still out there, but yeah, I'm right there with you, man. We need some, with everything going Leach, on, we need some Leach humor brought back to us. Leach has got a burner out there. You know he does. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows he's got like eight followers, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, man. All right, so that's it uh, for this one, and uh, I'll tease this. I've actually got another guest coming up, and this guy is a a much more SEC-centric. He's going to talk a lot of the quarterback competitions around the SEC and and some of the – this is a guy that goes deep into analysis and film study, and so I'm really excited about this guest coming up. And I think SEC fans are really going to appreciate it from all across the SEC. But that's going to do it for this one. Thanks for joining me as always, Cousin Shane. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go Vols.